This episode is brought to you by Aircraft Accessories of Oklahoma. When it's time for an aircraft component inspection, overhaul, repair, or replacement, you need experienced technicians you can trust and friendly service you can count on. Aircraft Accessories of Oklahoma, a family-owned business since 1959, delivers just that. Our techs have real-world experience and provide sales, service, and overhaul for piston engine aircraft accessories. We also have limited turbine capabilities such as fuel pumps, starter generators, and prop governors. And we can overhaul propellers ranging from fixed pitch to turbine. Propeller pickup and delivery service is available. And one more thing, mention this podcast to receive 5% off your next sale, service, or overhaul. Visit aircraftaccessoriesofok.com. Hi, I'm Mike Bush. I'm Paul New. And I'm Colleen Sterling. Welcome to Ask the AMPs from AOPA. On Ask the AMPs, we uh, take your toughest maintenance questions and we make a yeoman effort to try to answer them. So if you have a question, please reach out to us by email at podcast at aopa.org. And if you like the show, make sure to follow or subscribe so you never miss an episode. And if you'd like to get on our uh, email list for our, our uh, monthly newsletter and interesting maintenance stories, uh, the easiest way to do that is to pick up your smartphone and text the word SAVVY, S-A-V-V-Y, to 33777. And a little email bot will ask you for your name and email address and add you to the list. Uh, text the word SAVVY, S-A-V-V-Y, to 33777 to put yourself on our list. So we're recording this after returning and surviving AirVenture. Oh, the we Fisk have some survival stories. arrival. Yeah, I want a t-shirt that says, I survived the Fisk arrival. <laughs> yeah, all, we could probably yeah, this, sell the, thousands. This, this year <laughs> was, was a little unusual. Colleen and her, her husband Dave uh, flew with me in my Cessna 310. and. Uh, for the last 25 years, I have always made an IFR arrival reservation because um, doing the, the Fisk arrival in an airplane that's hard to slow down <laughs> is, uh, is a bit scary. And I actually lost a, lost a friend, uh, I don't know, 25 years ago who, uh, who had a, a, a fast glass air that ATC stuck behind something slow and asked him to slow down and make S turns. And he wound up, uh, he wound up stalling and, uh, and died. So ever since then, I've been coming in with IFR, uh, coming in IFR and they, they only have four IFR arrival slots per hour. And, uh, so it's always a challenge to get them, but I've always been successful in, in nabbing, a. IFR arrival reservation, and except for this year, I spent something like four hours online trying to get an IFR arrival slot without success. So we we wound up making the dreaded Fisk arrival. And thank God for four yeah. flight. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, it was, yeah. Well, I'm, oh, I, mean, I would wow. not have wanted to do it without three pilots in the in the cockpit. And then three copies of the Notum and two, we, we had uh, an amazing amount of information <laughs> yeah. at our disposal that we, we never would have had before. We could yeah. see 
we could see everybody on, on, and, uh, on we our only, iPads. We only got spun out once because uh, runway um, 36 was closed due to an incident. So we only got to see Fisk twice on the approach. Yeah, they sent, <laughs> us, they sent us back to Endeavor, which yeah. is... 47 miles from us. 47 miles. Yeah. So, <laughs> and, and in a tw- well, we, we, we loaded up with a lot of fuel because we knew anything can happen going into Oshkosh via the Fisk arrival. And, and uh, so it was a good thing we did because we, we were not worried about fuel. We had, it was a two hour flight from Sioux Falls and we um, had six and a half hours of fuel. So. I fortunately had a friend, uh, Chris, riding along with me, which was hugely helpful. I was planning to go into Fond du Lac just because it's so much easier, so much less traffic. And as we got close, we thought, you know, the conga line doesn't look too overwhelming. Let's give it a try. And we got in at Endeavor. We got to the second waypoint and three airplanes ahead of us decided that 90 knots was not the right speed. They like 70 (laughs) knots. So I'm I'm flying the Cirrus at 68 to 70 knots, thinking this is not smart. This is just not smart. And I mean, it was in control, but boy, that was just a lot of stress. And so next year, people, 90 knots. It's nine. If you're in the J3 Cub, it's like firewall. They're firewall pedaling as thing. fast as they can. That, that's the wow. problem. We 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 came in at the higher altitude, so we were maintaining 135 knots. It was more civilized but, up there. But it's, you know, it's a real challenge for the controllers because at the last minute, they, they, they have to merge the fast guys with the slow guys and and uh, it can get interesting. So, yeah, that was the thing. So several years ago, several times, I came in in a Navajo. So I came in in the high, the high arrival, the faster arrival. So this year I'm playing by the rules. I'm doing 90 knots. And a couple of Bonanzas and something else came in in the high side and I'm like, that's not what it's supposed to be. And the controllers let them in. And I'm thinking, okay, are we encouraging bad behavior? Or should I just pull up and forget this 70 knot stuff? And I can do 135 knots. That's not a problem. Anyway, well, in, that was in a little their frustrating. Defense, I, I thought the FIS controllers were exceptional. Hats off. Oh, it was yeah, particularly, particularly one of them who who obviously was a pilot and was saying all the right things. This is when 3-6 was closed and they were sending lots of people back around to Endeavor. And he was saying, hey guys, you know, check your fuel. Uh, we don't have an air show today. This was Sunday that we arrived. So, you know, we have plenty of time to get you all in. If you need to go Fond du Lac or something and get some fuel, you can come on back and we'll, we'll get you in. Don't worry yeah. about it. He had it a was very, sense of humor. very reassuring. Yeah. There was, yeah. there was absolutely no complaint about the controllers. It wasn't on them. It was mostly on the people that decided just on a whim that, oh, they had to go in the high side because it looked faster. It was mostly the people arriving, not the controllers. I did. I, one controller, though, some guy, it was the same end number. I won't say the end number, but I'll forever remember it. <laughs> he got turned out. as <laughs> It ended with an x-ray. He got turned out for the second time, and some one of the controllers says, 
We've been calling your number a lot today, haven't we? <laughs> yeah, they had a good sense of humor there. Yeah, hey, they be, had a be good careful, sense of humor. Paul. My, my aircraft ends in the next but, That's true. It that wasn't, wasn't you. you, though. It wasn't you as well after you guys had, had arrived. And now I know a, a bucket list thing for me is to go out to Fisk with a, a little cooler and a lawn chair and just watch those guys in action because I hear it's very entertaining. I bet it would be. Yeah. Our first question is from Walt, who's wondering if some overzealous hammering on his airplane is causing cylinder issues. Go ahead, Walt. That sounds ominous. <laughs> yeah, not a good sign. Yeah, so in the last four years, we've replaced three cylinders on the Seneca. So this is the TSI 0360 KBs. And the last time, uh, the last two times, we sent the cylinders out because of the logistics issues and long delay on getting uh, replacement cylinders to have them repaired. And both times, those last two times, they could not repair them because there were cracks. And I had asked for the cylinders to be sent back. I wanted to see where the cracks were. It wasn't possible. Couldn't do it. It's like, okay, well, we'll do what we got to mm. do. So well, first, I want to thank you all for, especially Mike, the, uh, the lapping procedure video you did. We used that to extend the life of my number five cylinder, 120 hours. Uh, did two lappings on that exhaust valve before we finally did replace it. So I appreciate that. Out of curiosity, what why were all these cylinders replaced? What was the reason? Yeah, there was a poor compression on the one time we had exhaust valve two times, uh, but we had we had done the lapping on this number five. We had not tried that on the other ones because we hadn't discovered your process or mm. weren't familiar with it. I've now introduced three different mechanics to it, so hmm. we're we're spreading the good news. And one of these days, Paul, I'm going to come down and see you about the uh, the, the wonderful compression or Oil control ring wash. Oh, okay. Ring wash. Got a present. Ring wash. I got a present for it. Oh, that. I don't know that that sounds good or not, unless it's cookies. It's good, good stuff. <laughs> but anyway, back to the back to the challenge. So we finally had to replace this cylinder, and um, so the the we removed it. And as I was I was there for my first time watching a cylinder removal, I made sure I was there for this. Wanted to see how this all worked. Very alert to some of the challenges there. And after removing all the accessories and plates and guides around this lot going on there in that engine. Uh, he then, the mechanic proceeded to drop the exhaust manifold, taking all the exhaust bolts off on the odd side of this one engine. And then it didn't clear the exhaust bolts. And there is a, there is a slip joint on the exhaust manifold just downstream. And he was expecting that to rotate. It didn't. So he grabbed a stick uh, and, a, and a hammer and he began to bang away at the top of the flange uh, to try to clear the exhaust, but it didn't move. So he said, "Well, you push on this while I'm while I'm hammering." I'm like this just doesn't seem like this should be necessary. Hmm. And then that cylinder was removed eventually. Uh, but we had, I said, well, "Let's loosen up the turbo clamp." Uh, the wonderful AD applies to those now. So we loosened the turbo clamp. It then pivoted on that clamp enough to get it off, and we did the cylinder replacement. So that was all good. Sent that cylinder out uh, for repair. I wanted to have a spare. And the uh, same deal, it's cracked. I'm thinking, okay, now this this is odd. And I'm wondering, and my question comes, is it okay to hammer on an exhaust? It seems like it should drop. And, and my preference would have been to remove uh, from the opposite side, the even the uh, even side, um, hmm. the bolts as well. So the whole thing would come down, even if it wouldn't rotate properly. Uh, so that was my the, the impetus of my question, which was, when is it okay to start wailing away on an exhaust system? It doesn't seem like it should be necessary. And then 
And tapping is one thing. I understand sometimes exhaust gaskets get you know, seized up and all, but it was, this was down a good three-eighths of an inch, half an inch before they started hammering. And um, <clears throat> the second thing, the second part of the question is, when we first got the airplane several years ago, the exhaust was frozen up at the slip joints. And so we sent it out and had it overhauled. And then they, they put some NECs uh, on the on the joint and they reassembled it. And I said, well, doesn't it make sense to do this every time? I mean, you tell me of an annual. Let's take the exhaust apart and put NECs. And the mechanic said, well, well, we'll lubricate it each time. And I don't think they're actually taking it apart. I haven't been there for every time and lubricating it. They're spraying something. But I understand that there's nothing you can spray in that won't cause more problems than it solves because uh, it won't handle the thousand degrees that happen around these turbochargers. So uh, your opinion on, on both of those topics. Well, the first thing, you, did you ever find out where the cracks were on the cylinders? No. Well, I can't imagine what you could possibly do to the exhaust to cause a crack on a cylinder. I, I just don't see the two related. Worst case. I, I'd be worried about if, the, the exhaust being dented or something. Yeah, or a flange. Yeah, yeah, the exhaust is what I'd be worried about. Now, it might be possible if you're pulling down the odd cylinder side exhaust, you've got a pretty large or long lever arm to put some bending load on the exhaust studs. Those aren't bolts, they're actually studs with nuts. And, you know, maybe you could bend a stud or maybe you could crack something at at the stud boss. I've never seen that. So I don't see I don't see any cylinder related issues with wailing away at the exhaust. Especially if you're using a piece of wood. I've seen people use a piece of wood to try to soften that. That's definitely the way to go. I mean, my, my, my reaction is whoever it is you're sending the cylinders to is, or is one of these zero tolerance shops that never saw a cylinder that they liked. So maybe you should be sending cylinders to some other shop that's a little. Or get a second opinion. Yeah. yeah. Or never saw I mean, a cylinder that wasn't cracked. Like you tried. Al yeah. Almost every cylinder that's been in service for a while is going to have cracks in the exhaust port, but I've ne never heard of any of them call it causing any problem. And usually yeah. they're cracks in the spark plug area that, that yeah. condemn a cylinder. And, and I've never, I've never but, seen those so, cause any problems either. Mike, you're saying cracks in the exhaust ports is acceptable to some extent. I, I didn't, I didn't say that. Okay. I, I thought said, I heard you I've say I've never <laughs> seen them cause any problem. Right. Acceptable is in the eye of the beholder. <laughs> Clearly, nothing is acceptable. Wanted to clarify that for a listener. <laughs> but okay. you know, this this, this kind of brings up why why we don't like to pull cylinders. First of all, if you pull a cylinder, there's always a chance it's going to get condemned. But worse, anytime you pull cylinders, it gives the A and P an opportunity to stick his head in the hole and look around inside the engine, and maybe he'll find something he doesn't like, and then it'll turn into a debacle. And we don't like to do that, you know. So we we do everything we can to remediate cylinder problems without cylinder removal if it's possible. And you can break a stud so easily oh, doing yeah. this because a, a nut gets frozen on it, and then your life becomes miserable. Is there a way to lubricate? these slip joints without disassembling them and no, what they're, material they're tight fit i mean they what, just what do you use to lubricate them what would you recommend paul well the, the only way i know to lubricate them is to disassemble clean them up wire brush all that sort of thing get it down to nice clean metal re-lubricate it with the proper anti-seize and 
slide it back together. Yeah, high temp nickel anesthesia. And how often would you be doing this? Well, I wouldn't do it unless I saw an indication it needed it. Ah, on condition. Yeah, Yeah, that's uh, what I'm saying. If if it's not leaking, and the general test, and this, you have to check your service manual, so this is not an every airplane test. Pressurize the exhaust system, go around squirting with soapy water. Slip joints and couplings will often have bubbles. Bubbles are not a big deal. If it blows enough that you can't make bubbles, you know, it's just blowing the soapy water off, now you've got an issue. So as a general rule of thumb, if it's just making bubbles, not real worried about it. Yeah, also exhaust systems, when you're doing a pressure test cold, will often leak at joints that tighten up when the system is hot so that it's, you know, it's an artifact of the of, of the pressure test. It's not something that's really causing problems when the engine is running. But Does we don't like help? to take stuff apart. <laughs> Does that help? I know it doesn't help you. I just always. want to make sure we are taking stuff apart in the correct way and not adding stress. And again, yeah, I'm not a yeah. maximalist, Mike. I, I do follow <laughs> only on condition as little as necessary. Yeah. Uh, but if it was something that was a longer term, and I do think that they, the mechanics were lubricating uh, in between, but I think it was actually because they were using a spray lubricant, it was more removing. It, that's probably not. That's probably not going to get in there. Something yeah. trying. They were trying to get not in a slip joint. Yeah, they were yeah. hoping it would because the spray loops. I, I know what they're talking about. Um, are much more viscous. You know, it's not a grease. It's a. It's a liquid, and they were hoping it would get in there. It's not going to hurt anything. And and the hammer action, I mean, I wasn't there, so I don't know how aggressive it kind of depends everything on was. Where they, <laughs> what they're banging on, too, you know, yeah. they, they don't want to bang on something that's going to dent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but if you're, if, it you was know, on the it was on the exhaust flange itself. Yeah, yeah that's well, that's not going to hurt anything. It's not going to crack the cylinder. I, I like my mechanics, so I'm, I'm glad they're doing, yeah. doing it right. There you go. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I guess there are some times when a hammer is appropriate for the airplane. But usually if you have a piece of wood, that definitely is going to help soften the blow. If your starter won't turn, a hammer is a great thing to have. Or your solenoid, yeah. <laughs> but, 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 Walt, stop, stop pulling cylinders like that. Yeah. <laughs> great questions, Walt. Sorry for all the cracks in your in your cylinders. That yeah. must be Alleged cracks. Alleged well, cracks. Yeah. And well, yeah. There time, you go. The, the next cylinders you take off inappropriately. Ask, ask them to dye pen them and send you pictures. We yeah. need a body. <laughs> yeah, the next we time need... you, before you send them in, say, by the way, when you get these, I want to see the report and pictures. Yeah. Or just go up there with them. Or go up there with them. Even better. Or do an inspection after you pull them off. Right? Actually, just avoid the whole thing and don't pull them off. Don't yeah. pull a cylinder, right? Yeah. <laughs> Well, hopefully it won't happen again. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Thank you, everyone. Anyway, thank you for your right, question. Well, nice talking with you. Yeah, that's good. See ya. Our next question is from Tim, who thinks his tack is tricking him. Go ahead, Tim. Hi. Uh, thanks for taking my call. I have a uh, 1968 Cardinal that has been a victim of the savvy breakdown, which you guys <laughs> did a which you guys did a wonderful job of, and the write up was. Uh, the names were changed to protect the innocent, which I appreciate. Oh, but I know which uh, one this is. Yeah, the stuck victim. valve. Yeah, it well, was a customer. <laughs> yeah, you, you yeah. guys really helped me out. I, I very much appreciate that because we were stuck on the road, and of course, the first thing the shop says, "We got to pull the engine," and you know, I go like, "No, hold, hold on." So, so uh, moving on, Great. same airplane. So it's a '68 Cardinal O three sixty. It's the <laughs> conversion, and I. Um, 
was out, uh, well, this has been a lingering question for quite some time, but I checked the TAC, and there are a bunch of apps on your phone. Uh, one does a visual or uh, optical, so you can hold it up on your instrument panel, and it looks forward and looks at the RPM of the, the blinking of the blade and gives you a readout of RPM. And then uh, there's also an audio one that, interestingly enough, you just program in as a four-cycle engine and four cylinders, and it will listen through the microphone on your on your uh, on your device and find out and give you a readout of RPM. And both of them are probably within ten to fifteen RPM of each other, which wow. is just amazing for me. Yeah. And uh, so, uh, Redline on this airplane is twenty-seven hundred RPM. We have a a climb propeller on the airplane, and so uh, at uh, doing a mag check, I'll do a run up to eighteen hundred, and I'll compare it. And the between these optical, audio, and then the mechanical, and there'll be a discrepancy where the onboard uh, mechanical is reading maybe fifty RPM low, something like that. At cruise power up twenty four, twenty five hundred RPM. It's reading a full 50 to 75 RPM. And then because of the climb prop, I actually run into Redline at 2,700 RPM at about 75% power uh, with the airplane when I'm up at altitude. And so if I run it right at at 2,700 RPM, 75% power, it's reading a full 75 RPM low based on the optical and audio tech. And uh, of course, short of... Uh, replacing it, I was wondering if there's a uh, an adjustment on the tack itself that you could go in, an AMP could go in and adjust it. I suppose uh, pulling the cable out, relubing that would probably be the first step to uh, troubleshoot it. But uh, over to you for comment. I would say the first step is to put a horizon tack or something in there and get rid of that. <laughs> He's trying to avoid doing that. It's a those classic things, cardinal. He wants the classic instruments. Are, <laughs> those things are just notoriously inaccurate. Really? Oh, I, you know, I've had experience. And they with, almost always read low. With a tech cable go going bad. And the, it literally, the cable just spins in a sheath. And I would suspect if there's any friction in there, but I don't know if you can lubricate it, you might just end up replacing something like the tech cable. I don't yeah, know if you can adjust the instrument. Well, yeah. so the instrument is adjustable, okay. but probably not legally because it is an <laughs> instrument and you, you have can't to take open. it apart yeah and the way it comes apart it's it's not like you take screws out and open it up and there's a little nice little adjustment that says increase and decrease it's a centrifugal uh, thing Paul, are, are 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 you going to admit to opening up an instrument well I've, it was oh, condemned everybody i condemned. take i yeah. take instruments apart all the time i don't reinstall them I after okay. i've taken them apart okay well i'm glad you clarified that but I will also say that if you should happen to run across someone that restores vintage Corvette tachometers, okay. they might be the exact same instrument. Really? Oh, really? We used oh. to have, there was a guy here locally, and that was his business, was restoring old car instruments. And we, as an experiment, we took a couple of tachometers to him long story how we figured out that they were the same and he made some adjustments and we put them in a couple of airplanes and they were spot on they were really good totally not 
not legitimate to do. We were just finding out if we could and it worked. I'm just saying it's out there. So it is possible. But for, an ex- said- for an experimental or, uh, application, I suppose that would be allowed. Yeah. Experimental yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> but I, I agree with Mike. It's it's time to let it go. What was this on that sitcom? I've got one word for you. Let it go. I think a, a horizon. Unfortunately, they're not in production anymore. So oh, you, horizon isn't. No, you'd have to get one. Uh, I thought on you were eBay talking about a two seventy five. You're not talking about no, no, no. Digital. Horizon is a company. The, oh, P one thousand have a digital tachometer. They are the most awesome thing. They'll give you the the digital tach down to one RPM, which drove my dad nuts because it was always moving. So you put a piece of tape over the last digit so you can't see it move. Works really good. But what it would also do, it was um, it counted RPM as opposed to measuring it, which is way more accurate. So it would count the pulses on the P-leads. And every time you the P-lead or the magneto fires, you get this 100 to 200 volt pulse on a P-lead, uh, which is one reason why it has shielded wires on it. And uh, it would count those pulses. So it'd be three pulses per rev or on your, your four cylinder. So two pulses per revolution. And it would count those and it could compare the left and the right magneto. So any failure of a mag is going to be a reduced number of pulses. It won't ever go faster. It always goes slower. So if it saw one of the two mags that was running slower, it would give you a yellow light or a red light to tell you that that magneto had failed. So if you had a mag failure, you knew exactly which one it was. Oh, that's slick. Yeah. So are you saying, Paul, that they're not long, no longer available? I have I have not been able to find them. I think they, they may have gone out of business. If someone knows better, please let me know. Thank you so much for all your help. And and, and I've really enjoyed listening to your podcast. You keep it real. And, and I like seeing you guys at Oshkosh. I didn't make it this year, but maybe next year. Well, we'll look for you next year. Thanks a lot, Tim. Okay. Thanks, thanks guys. Bye-bye. We'll see you. Bye-bye. Our next question is from Luke, who is trying to tame his fire-breathing beast. Go ahead, Luke. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm trying to do. <laughs> that's absolutely. Uh, yeah, so big fan of the show. Thank you so much for the opportunity to to ask this question that seemingly no one has been able to answer for me, and that includes Lycoming. So uh, I'll send it your way. So I operate a couple of uh, aerobatic airplanes, both using uh, six-cylinder Lycoming Z. AEIO 540 and one with a 580, and these are extra 300s and an extra 330SC. So I fly competitions and air shows all across uh, North America, and including I'm going to the World Championships in October, which sounds kind of stressful, you think, but like the thing that gives me the most stress or a lot of stress, more than it should, is hot starting. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so everybody's so, watching. So we're, we're pulling 500 Gs and worried about wings coming off and all that. But oh, no, no, just, no, we're just, 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 about just 10 Gs, just 10 Gs plus and minus seven. <laughs> nothing, 10 nothing Gs, yeah. And what it's rated for. So yeah. anyway, my, my question is like, you know, I've been operating these airplanes for a long, a long time and I've always been able to start them successfully, but it still stresses me out. And I always feel like I have to let a lot of time pass by as much as possible you know, oil door open, let the heat out, and then I have a, a pretty decent shot at it. But but still, like it starts and it just surges like crazy unless you have the you know the RPM really high and you advance the mixture exactly at the right rate. 
And it's still a pain, you know, for the first couple of minutes and then it, it calms down. So one of the things I was told is with the engine off, before you start, you know, go everything forward except the mixture, mixture off, the throttle forward, and just leave the fuel pump running for like 20 seconds to purge the, the fuel lines and then try it. So my question is, is there any truth to using this technique? That's a perfect technique in a Continental. Yeah. But I don't think it works in a Lycoming. Yeah. It, well, it works in my Lycoming on my Legacy. I have an IO540, but I've got a special valve produced by Airflow. I think they're Airflow Performance. They're, they're in South Carolina. That basically takes that fuel and recycles it back into the if, kind of like a TCM engine. And it literally does purge. Unfortunately, it's also a single point of failure. If somehow that valve <laughs> opens up in flight, then I'm I'm hosed. Um, what is it? But, an electric electrically operated valve? No, it's it's just a mechanical open. It's a valve right on top of the spider, and it's used for hot starts. I only use it for hot starts. Unfortunately, you don't have that. So when you're running your boost pump with a mixture lean cutoff, it's it's still sending the no. Um, there's none going to the injectors. Yeah, so it's not clearing the lines in the yeah. injectors or it, the spider. Yeah, it's so just it's, going through the, the engine-driven. And <clears throat> you're purging. In the continental world, we would say you do this for like two minutes to cool down the engine-driven fuel pump. I've never met a pilot yet that could sit there for two minutes. It, you know, we just, we're just not capable of it. I have seen someone do it for as long as 45 seconds. But you're, you've boiled all the fuel in the system. It's all vaporized. So what you want to do is, is purge that and replace it with fuel. But since all the lines are hot and all your injector lines on top of the engine are not insulated in any way, as soon as you put the cold fuel in it, it's boiling off as well. So everybody has a way to do it. And so I will tell you my way. And if it doesn't work, it was free. So just keep that in mind. And Michael have his way and Colleen has her way. So this and is Paul, my what way. You're, what you're describing is Lycoming specific, what you're about to describe. Yes, it'll it'll work on Lycoming. I use it on Continentals most of the time. And I won't tell you how dad used to do it because for dad, it was always a flooded start. You just flood the bejeebies out of that thing. And you know, well, if it catches fire, you just keep yeah, cranking and don't you like don't that. worry about it. So don't do that. That is a really bad idea. If you, and this all has to be done in one motion. It's you don't you don't do part of this and adjust your headset and find your maps and you know all that kind of stuff. Maps. This is, well, I know. Okay, <laughs> old guy. <laughs> old guy. Well, alert. you know what I'm saying. You, you yeah. don't do any housekeeping. So we're we're just going to start this Check process. Yeah. It all happens in a matter of like two or three seconds from start to finish. Everything forward. I don't know what sort of pump. Do you have like a, a prime position on an electric pump or a boost? Do you have what? Yeah, it's just a boost pump. Yep. So it's, it's just got one speed. It has one speed. Yep. Oh, okay. So well, anyway, so everything forward with your pump on and listen, you can watch the, your fuel flow to see when it stabilizes. But by the time it stabilizes, you've flooded. It's the kind engine. of doing this. That's right. Because that's, that's air. Vapor. That's all the vapor going through. Listen, if if you can, so your headset's probably not going to be on at this point. Feel it with your butt. Feel it with You'll your feel. butt. You're going to listen until it sounds like, oh, it is now pumping liquid. And as soon as it's pumping liquid, you're done. Mixture and throttle back and crack the throttle 
and immediately engaged the starter and began advancing the mixer control, not real fast, like at a, a two or a three second rate. And somewhere in that process, you've already got fuel in the system. So you're pushing it through. Oh, and the boost pump stays on, by the way. So as you're advancing the mixture, you're sending fuel to the engine under pressure. So any new vapor that creates gets purged out. The engine driven pump can't purge it, but the electric pump is upstream where it's all cold and it's all liquid. And at some point you find that mixture setting that allows the engine to run and just kind of pause there for a second, let it run and then, you know, slowly advance it. And you'll have to play with this a couple of times and it may run terrible for the first 10, 15, 30 seconds. It's just part of it. Sure. And that's how I do it. That's a lot of work. It takes a whole three seconds. I mean, basically, you have to immediately um, transition from just running the boost pump to bringing the controls back and cranking it because you don't want the stuff to boil off. Once it's in there, you just have to push it right through, keep it liquid. So that's why no waiting. Yeah, this is no waiting. I've never done that, but that makes sense, Paul. Yeah. Um, I use the same process, hot and cold starts. But um, that's on a Lycoming, but I mean on a Continental. Some of the Lycomings, like on the Malibus, are just recalcitrant. <laughs> I yeah. hate starting those. I've I've been the starter at the Borrego contest out here in in um, San Diego uh, a lot, and it's it's just painful to watch people doing hot starts, especially when they turn a training aircraft and they just switch the people out and go back out and and yeah, it's interesting to watch all the gyrations people do to get started. It's- yeah, so we have a competition here next week, and we, you know, we alternate the extras and whatnot. And we have a we have a big industrial fan that I stick underneath it between flights, blow all the hot air out, and it's amazing what twenty minutes what that does. That you know? helps, huh? Yeah, yeah. So, Colleen, what's your hot start process? Um, well, I use the fuel recirculation device, which is an experimental device, so it's not going to help you on the certified. Well, but extra. how about on your Cardinal? Oh, on the Cardinal, it's um, mixture back and throttle forward, and just crank it. Don't use the boost pump, and then once it catches, you uh, adjust the two. <laughs> so, but how do do you prime it first? No, I usually don't have to prime it because, like wow. I said, the the. Yeah, uh, it, I, I don't have to prime it, but the throttle all the way forward. So when it catches, it wants to go to full RPM. So you got to be very quick and, you know, mixture in because you got to provide fuel and the throttle's got to come back. So sometimes it's exciting. I find this is a unique problem to airbag airplanes with those lightweight props. Yeah, yeah. I've got a lightweight prop on my Legacy. The Legacy is completely different. It's, it's the lightweight prop. It's a bigger engine. It's six cylinders. It's yeah, so it, it does, um, the hot start is a lot harder to do than in the Cardinal. It's amazing how many different ways there are to hot start airplanes. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and it's embarrassing. You're at the, you're, you're there and everybody's looking at you like, and you hear the starter turning and turning and you're like, can't even start his own airplane. <laughs> Colleen, when, when, you, when you're talking about starting the Cardinal with the throttle full forward, where, where's the mixture when you do that? It's back, all the way back at lean cutoff. That's interesting it, that it would even fire. I don't fire. prime it. Now, if it doesn't fire, sometimes I give it a shot. With the with the Legacy, with the IO540, it definitely wants to be primed. Even though it's been hot and it's a hot start, it likes prime, but the Cardinal will start without prime. How does fuel get to the nozzles? With you know, the it, has to, it has to be because she's off. high wing. So she's got some gravity. There's some head pressure. 
Yeah, no boost pump on either. That's interesting. But with the with the mixture control at idle cut off, is didn't that? It should. So you're saying my fuel, fuel servo is leaking? Is that what no, you're? No, no, I'm just I'm just curious <laughs> how that works because I know a lot of light homings get started with the mixture control at at, at idle cut off, and then I'm once sure. the engine starts, then you advance the mixture. Okay. Yeah. Good luck. We'll be watching you. Yeah. Thank you guys. Thanks okay. for the call. Thanks. Absolutely. Bye. All right, so we've got a letter. You all remember we talked about burping the last time and all the gases that come out, and that generated a lot of feedback. And engines. so, We're yeah. Talking engines, yeah. 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 Right. <laughs> <laughs> Airplane engines. I didn't think I need to clarify, yeah. Um, so this one from Chris I really liked. He said, hi, guys. I really love the podcast, but I'm extremely confused now. In the last podcast I listened to, you discussed burping the engine of all the nasty gases in the case after flight by turning the prop backward with the oil filler cap removed. What? He says. <laughs> I'm not saying that that won't work. It sounds like it works great. My problem is that is 180 degrees opposite of what I've heard all three of you say about touching the prop after shutting down a flight. If you move the prop after flying, you scrape away the oil film in the oh. cylinder walls, right? So what yeah. gives? Is it better to be gassy and slippery or burped and dry? That's awesome. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> well, that's a good point. Um, I I think well, he's right. Yeah, he is. But the the question about the burping is is not one that that we said. Oh yes, you should do this. Someone called in and said, "Is it okay to take the cap off and let some of the steam out?" Which we all agreed with. And then he said, "Well, I've heard about." turning the prop and it moves even more gas out. And we all agreed it does do that. And then we talked about, be sure you turn backwards because if you turn it forwards, you run the risk of physical injury. So I don't know that we were at least not intentionally condoning the act of turning the prop after shutting down as much as we were saying, this is what's happening that's pushing the gases out. But we should have taken that opportunity to note that you might not want to turn the prop yeah. because of the lubrication in the cylinders. I know two separate people that have come up to me since that podcast and said, I tried it and it really does work. So I think, I, and I tried it myself and it really does work. So sure. I definitely think people are taking this advice and we need to caveat it. Well, and I don't know, when you shut the engine down, it just got through running. And of course, there's you're turning it backwards. There's not new oil pressure coming on, but there is still oil that's, if you have a continental, there's still oil dripping on that camshaft. So within the first day or so, turning that prop is not going to be any real tragedy. And everyone should be flying every week anyway, right? Yeah. I, I mean, I, what's, you know, if you scrape the walls and leave the vapors in there, then that's the worst of everything. But at least when you're scraping the walls clean of the, the cylinder walls, the, the vapor's releasing so you don't have the, you know, the water vapor in there to cause the corrosion. If you're going to go flying in the next week, it's probably no big deal at all. Yeah, it's not at all. Either I, way. I think a dehydrator is probably yeah, a better, better choice. Much better way. Yeah, just in general. But it and they're was not my, very expensive. Yeah, but do you have to hook it up? How do you... It, well, they're electric, it. yeah. So if you're in, if you're out tied down on the ramp or in a, in a group hanger, it's probably not realistic i guess well you need you just need to have you know a 115 volt outlet somewhere in yeah, proximity but, of the airplane yeah do and you an put extension it just, cord with your name on it 
I forget. I forget. Do you put it in the engine compartment, or do you actually physically no. put something into? No, the, you just. You, it just has a hose that you connect to an appropriate place, breather, oil filler, or whatever works best. Okay, so you don't have to take a spark plug out, or you can just put it no, in your no, oil, no. or in the oil, yeah, the oil filler board or whatever. Okay. Yeah, depending yeah. on your engine. I've never had a dehydrator, but I live yeah, in yeah, the yeah, desert, just, so it just pushes a small volume of. of very dry air into the engine, which displaces wet air, and then just makes and keeps it keeps it dry for as long as it's running. But I love that our listener was listening to us. Yeah, and he called us out on this. Very good. He gets the points. Um, he's right. We're rewarding people for calling us out. Yeah. Well. Oh man. Uh oh. Uh oh. Paul. Dang. Very, very well, good point. This this my, my days on the podcast may be numbered. <laughs> does this, this situation deserve clarification? Yes. Absolutely. Yes. yes. Good, good letter. That's a great segue to our next question from Thomas, who hopes we didn't steer him wrong. So now we got two in a row that are worried about being steered wrong. Go ahead, Thomas. Okay. Well, hello, everyone. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be with you. And um, yeah, I uh, listened to your July podcast, I think it was, um, and followed your tip that I open my oil filler cap on my, I fly Mooney, by the way, Mooney uh, 252, mm -hmm. with a TSIO 360 Continental engine. And after the next flight, I open my oil filler cap to release the steam out of the engine. And not only that, but I turned the prop backwards, uh, which I think you suggested, so that the engine is not able to start uh, without purpose. So I did that. And when I came back to the airplane to fly it back home after um, a weekend trip, my when I fired up the engine, my attitude indicator would not move. So I don't know if you are aware that we have a lot of IFR slots in uh, Europe. So I had to make an immediate decision what to do if I shut the airplane down or if I could uh, catch my slot. And it came to my mind that I have a uh, standby vacuum pump and I turned it on and the uh, attitude indicator cam came back to life. I left the standby vacuum pump on until I reached flight level 200 and then I switched it off and everything worked fine. And after I landed, I talked to a friend about this and he said, well, uh, you should never turn the prop backwards because you might have killed your vacuum pump. And I did search the internet on that. And as far as I am able to, uh, to interpret uh, what I found is that dry vacuum pumps might have a problem if the prop is turned backwards. So yeah, I came up with the question, if I just killed my vacuum pump um, and I'm yeah, curious what you think about this. The good thing is the next time I fired up the engine, my attitude indicator came up immediately. So the next time everything worked fine. Huh. So, <laughs> so the vacuum pump didn't die. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Obviously <laughs> not. Yeah. Well, yeah dry, dry vacuum pumps fail catastrophically and never yeah. come back. They so. don't come back from the dead. Yeah. Okay. Well, I talked to my mechanic and he said, well, um, in former days, uh, they usually didn't like to be turned backwards. But nowadays, this shouldn't be a problem anymore. I've heard that. So I, yeah, I've, also I mean, heard, I've that. heard this business about not turning dry vacuum pumps backwards for, for decades. And I, I routinely 
turn them backwards and I've never had, had that precipitate a failure. So uh, it may be an old wives tale. I, I can sort of understand the logic because the blades in, in the airborne style pumps are, are canted a little bit. And so they, and they, I've heard they wear thin in one direction, like a knife edge. So if you turn yeah, it the they, opposite they way, little, the edge, a little, can... a little but tail Paul, is that true, Paul? I mean, have yeah, you ever heard that? They, they wear at an angle. The thing is, and I have a pneumatic pump. I won't call it a vacuum pump because on some airplanes it's a vacuum and some airplanes it's a it's, pressure. It, it doesn't suck. It blows. Yeah. But I'll take one when I, I do my Cessna classes and I've been spinning it backwards for like 15 years and it hasn't broken yet. And it was broken when I started. So, I mean, you know, I, I haven't made it break more, but my theory is that if you turn the prop backwards, and the vacuum pump fails, meaning one of the vanes has worn so far that it can get cocked at an angle and lodge in such a way that the pump can't rotate. And in that case, there's a nylon, uh, we'll call it a fusible shaft between the pump and the engine. And two revolutions of the propeller is enough to twist that nylon shaft in half. And that prevents the pump from doing damage to the engine or loading the engine if the pump fails. If you turn it backwards and one of these vanes gets cockeyed and locks the pump, what that tells me is that it was, it was worn slap out and you should say thank you that it failed while you were turning the propeller instead of on the next flight. What <laughs> does worn slap out mean? Is that Tennessee? For... <laughs> that must be a Tennessee thing. I lost you at the oh, punchline, Paul. Uh, just worn out, excessively worn, worn in, <laughs> to its limits. In his case, it, it was, it's only 10 hours. He said right. he had 10 and it hours didn't on fail. the pump and it didn't, yeah, fail. It didn't fail. So it didn't why do fail. we think, what happened? Why didn't it come up? There could have been some, something else. It wasn't the pump because the pump might can't have, fail might, and not might, fail. Might have, might have been the, the bearings in his gyro that, that was a little stubborn. Sure. Yeah. That's started. real common. Well, I had my engine overhauled, so it's not only a new pump, but uh, everything is a new setup. Yeah. Um, and I might, if I um, am allowed to, I might have another question on that later. Should we answer your first question? <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, you, you, you didn't kill your pump. I, I obviously didn't kill my pump, but I didn't uh, try to turn the prop backwards after that anymore. So I turn it oh. forward now. <laughs> yeah. No, 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 no. Don't don't do that. It, well, I'm telling it, you. It, it, it depends, Paul. It's uh, it's only a don't do that if if you have magnetos with impulse impulse couplings. couplings. And I don't know that you do or don't. Do you know if you have impulse couplings on your mags or if they're shower sparks? I think I do. Um, do have impulse coupling? Isn't when isn't you, that the click that you hear when when you turn the yes. propeller? Yeah, yes. Yes. Yep. I do. I do so have it. Please, please don't turn the propeller in that direction. It is dangerous. It's very dangerous. Uh, and it's immediate danger. Like if it fires because something's not right and there's a whole slew of things, this is kind of one of my, this is my little sermon thing. I can't help but do it. Uh, they'll fire. People die every year because of this. And it'll fire. The blade swings around really rapidly. It happened to me about six months ago at the shop. And I just barely missed losing a hand because of it. So, don't turn it forward. Just don't turn it. If you don't want to turn it backward, please don't turn it forward. 
Turning it backwards, maybe it fails a pump, but you have a backup pump. And as, you, as soon as you start the engine, you'll know that the pump has failed. So there's no worries. And you should also have a vacuum gauge. You should have been able to look at that to tell if the pump was working. Yeah, I, I do have a vacuum gauge and I do have a, a light that comes on uh, if right. the vacuum is uh, too mm -hmm. low. Mm -hmm. um, and that basically that's my takeaway that I have a backup system. Mm -hmm. um, and it's always a good um, yeah, a good opportunity to know the stuff you fly, yeah. to know the systems. So when you started, when you had this problem, did you notice the vacuum? Was the vacuum working when the pump, when the gyro was not erecting? Well, actually, first I saw that um, the attitude indicator would not come to life. Then I took a look at the uh, vacuum gauge and it was low. I but, switched on the standby vacuum pump and it went up. Well, sure. So it was low because you were at a low RPM. Because the vacuum isn't going to come up until you're at 1,500 to 2,000 RPM. If it's developing any pressure at all, the pump is doing its job. I check it at um, run. I, I get your yeah. point, but usually the, the, the attitude indicator comes to life Correct. immediately yeah. after startup. Right. No, no. I'm, I'm not saying there wasn't something wrong. I'm saying as a troubleshooting tool to determine what the problem is. And so you, you force the gyro to start spinning. Mike was talking about the bearings get a little stiff or the little veins on the outlet of the, of the casing, which directs the gyro so it erects itself. Sometimes they get a little stiff. And so you added enough pressure that it, it was able to start going. It was spinning before. It just didn't have enough pressure to make it spool up quickly and erect itself. You turned on the electric and got the pressure up higher, which you could have done by raising the engine RPM, which is, you know, you don't want to do that while you're parked. What I'm saying is that the, the diagnostic process would be, you know, the pump is working, the gyro is not working. So you've, we've got a gyro issue, not a pump issue. Okay, what you're saying is I should have my gyro checked. No, 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 I don't think, I don't think there's anything you need to do to the gyro. Yet. Yet, I'm just letting you know that sometimes the the parts of the gyro get it's mechanical. And yeah, I mean you can usually you move. can usually hear that after you shut the engine down and and the gyros are just spinning down. Are noisy? They're noisy. Yeah. I I one of the happiest days in my aircraft ownership career was when I ripped out the last mechanical gyro out of my <laughs> Cessna 310 and put a couple of Garmin TI 275s in there, which are magical. Yeah. They he are. just overhauled an engine. Leave him alone. Yeah, that's, that's right. <laughs> I know. That's right. I'm with you. I've got mechanical. We, we yeah. feel your yeah. pain. No, you. There's nothing wrong here. Don't attack anything. But one, with once tools. again, I think it's worth saying that, contrary to what seems to be popular belief, we were not advocating turning the prop in either direction after shutdown. Okay. Paul was only saying, if you turn the prop, right. make sure you turn it backwards. But Yes. Okay. But what, what I did find out is exactly what you said. By turning the prop, you really push the steam out. You can, you I can found that. see it. It does work. Yeah. It, I know. It's eye-opening. I tried it just on my last flight, and, was in, and I was amazed. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you so much, and uh, keep on doing this. It's, it's, it's awesome. Thank you. Thanks for You're the call. Welcome. Thank you.
Well, that's a wrap on another podcast. What did we get right? And what did we get wrong? We always love hearing from you. Please keep sending us those tricky questions and try to stump us. Your questions and comments can be emailed to podcasts at aopa.org. We hope to hear from you soon. See ya. Bye-bye, everybody.